Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, welcome to Elk Shape Podcast. I'm with my dad. We are in his diesel Ram 2500. Just got out of Missoula, heading westbound to Spokane. Dad, how you doing? Doing good. We're uh, recording this. I apologize if you hear the background of I-90, the freeway, but we got a long drive still ahead, so figured we'd do a podcast recap of our public ground Idaho pronghorn hunt. Actually, it was technically a Montana hunt as well. We had tags for both states. We had a short window. We had a basically four-day hunt with a day of travel on both ends, so that's hunting um travel and we live in spokane there's not really antelope close by spokane washington although washington state needs to have some antelope brought over don't you think we have the most amazing hot like desert country for those guys to just thrive in fact i think they brought some in and they got poached did you ever read that article no i didn't i only read the sad saga of the woodland caribou up in the northeastern corner of the state but is, haven't is that recent you have a recent update last i heard they were at like 13 yeah the colville indian tribe has them at around 13 now attributes most of the deaths to increasing grizzly populations and uh, introduction of the gray wolf pretty easy pickings for a wolf thank you for not saying reintroduction that makes me sideways when I hear people say that re part. So, um, all right. Well, let's talk antelope 101. This was your second year ever bow hunting antelope. Why don't you break down your perspective um, from a noob on antelope hunting and kind of what you've learned about the animals, their behavior? Uh, we'll get into some details about, you know, over the counter public ground stuff and just kind of maybe for anyone out there who's never hunted antelope and always thought about it, it's a great way to fill your freezer before September gets here. 
and there's a lot of opportunities out there. So go ahead. Well, for me, I kind of um, cut my teeth last year with you down there in southern Idaho, and um, I kind of I kind of liken it to spring bear hunting, where spring bear hunting used to be something I would do just for fun, just to get out of the cabin, just to get out in the country and and get moving again. And then all of a sudden now I find myself looking forward to bear season almost as much as elk season. And now I am really in love with this speed goat hunting. Uh, the fastest animal I have ever seen. I've tried to catch up to him on my dirt bike. Um, I tried to catch up to him in my truck. And the things can run, I don't know how fast, but I had my dirt bike pegged at 55, and they outran me and crossed in front of me. So uh, pretty incredible animals, really, really super intelligent and quirky and uh, very strange and odd behavior and super fun to watch. I mean, I just never get bored. You'd think it'd be boring sitting out in a desert, but when you watch the behavior of those animals, it's pretty incredible. Uh, the young bucks are starting to fight right now, putting their heads down and charging each other. And, you know, it's just a lot of fun. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, hats off to any bow hunter that goes out and does a spot and stock on one in the sagebrush. Uh, those individuals are incredible. Uh, hats off to you. Good job. I can't picture myself ever doing that. Their vision is far better than any other animal I've ever hunted. And, um, you know, that's really about all I can say. So most states open for archery around middle of August, give or take. And I know, like, if you want to get a tag in Idaho, I don't believe there's any over-the-counter anymore. I might be mistaken, but there's an unlimited hunt you can put in for. You'll probably draw, I think it's almost 100%. Same with Montana. They got the 900 series, and that's a, another thing you put in. You'll get it drawn, most likely. That's the beauty of archery hunting. Wyoming also... Uh, there's usually some leftover tags, but it doesn't take very many points to get yourself into Wyoming. And I think that's probably your best place to go. Utah goats are really hard to get a tag. It takes residents several years. It's very, very stingy on tags. Uh, Oregon can be the same way where it could take you a long time to draw that. But, man, are you going to get into some great hunting in that southeastern portion of the state? Uh, Nevada, it takes quite a few points to draw. I actually drew Nevada pronghorn this year accidentally, and I returned my tag because I had drawn the Nevada elk tag and the Wyoming elk tag, and I knew I wanted to do this hunt with you. I knew we were going to draw this tag, and I knew I was going to have a uh, Montana tag. You can't have three pronghorn tags and two awesome elk tags and stay married. So turn that one back in uh california's got awesome goats again it's a draw process so so really you got to kind of be um on the ball i know colorado i believe is also it takes quite a few points you know two or three i would say to hunt some good areas there's a lot of private land so you're gonna have to knock on some doors not during season obviously uh there's goats in north dakota 
probably South Dakota, Nebraska. I mean, there's antelope in Alberta. I mean, there's antelope everywhere. To get a tag, it's not too hard. You just got to do a little bit of homework. Meat-wise, I still think that they're probably the best wild game animal. They just don't yield very much meat. I would put moose. See, your moose that you killed back in, uh, I think, what, 2009? Yep. That was, that thing was delicious. And then I killed one in 2014. That moose was delicious. Um, elk, obviously, probably my favorite, but really like a treat is antelope meat. And it's technically their pronghorn. They're not related to the antelope species in Africa. They're really their own species here, and they're very unique to, to North America. So you can't really hunt them anywhere else in the world. They're an awesome animal, and they're really fun to watch and to learn their biology, ecology, their their behavior. It's it's quite a treat. So we came down from Spokane. It's about, I'm going to say, somewhere between 8 to 10 hours you can hunt in you know southern Idaho. Our plan was to kill opening day, and then our plan was to drive over to Montana. And the reason why I say confidently kill is that we came back to a spot that we hunted the year prior where you got a shot, didn't recover yours, and I killed in four or five days. We had a pretty much figured out the antelope's behavior. So doing our preseason scouting this year, we came down and scouted and had a great plan, and then it just didn't come together. So let's talk about what happened right when we got to camp before the opener well you know any of the bow hunters that are out there you realize the more sophisticated your bow is the more moving parts and pieces the greater the chance that something's going to fail something's going to go wrong <clears throat> and i'm i'm not like my son who shoots his bow every night and is in the bow shop getting tuning done constantly and I'm more of an old school guy I like to get mine working right and get everything dialed in and then I just go out and shoot it every now and then and as long as I'm accurate at 30 yards I'm really happy and I'll fling a couple at 50 60 just for fun so we get down there and our blinds are set up and we pull into our little camp spot and right off the bat, I put a broad head on and I shot and I shot a bullseye at 20. My blind was set up actually for a 15 yard shot. So I was just primed and I thought, well, I'm gonna shoot one more. <laughs> well, my uh, broad head shot a foot and a half high, missed the target, went through the guy, uh, side of a guy's shed. And then I frantically made some adjustments and it shot another foot higher and lost that broadhead and then I moved my whole um, sight up as high as it would possibly go and I shot a bullseye so I said all right obviously I heard a pop when I drew back my bow it felt funny you pulled it back it felt funny but we thought well if we can just get through opening morning so we went over to uh, the blind right before dark and I sat in the blind and I set a block target out at 15 yards. 
and I lost three arrows trying to hit the block target. Pretty frustrated, just sick to my stomach. A lot of work and effort had gone into getting there. So uh, you got on your phone and found a bow shop. 120 uh, miles away from where we were. Yes, yes. So you got up early in the morning and went hunting, and I <laughs> got into my truck and drove 120 miles away and was standing at the bow shop when the guy opened the doors, handed him my bow, and he took one look at it and said, oh, man, you've got a broken module, and I don't really have any. All I have is a brand-new um, module off another model so he had to call into HQ of the bow manufacturer and they said you can switch those modules and we'll warranty the work so I got a new module on in the meantime I'm standing in the bow shop and you're calling me telling me that I don't know 8 10 12 18 15 who knows ever how many goats had just gone by my blind you got to hurry and get back by the way, the bow shop guys thought that was really mean of you, by the way. Well, and to my defense, I was just letting you know your blind was hot. I mean, it was on fire. They they weren't coming by my slide, and we'll talk about our setups in a second, but you, that day, that opening day, your blind, I mean, we knew we set it in, in a good spot based on last year, uh, but I can't, in the five days that I hunted, or four days that I hunted on this trip, that opening day, um, I bet at least 50 goats walked right by your blind. It was insane. Yeah, and then so we had that little predicament, and then the other predicament was we got into some of the uh, politics of bow hunting on public land with some other hunters. And fortunately, you geek out on regulations, reading them. So does my wife, Andrea. She goes nuts. She knows the regula regulations inside and out. She's my go-to person, as are you, on any questions about, you know, the rules and regulations. Well, in Idaho, you can put a blind out exactly 10 days before the season opener at midnight. <clears throat> and you and I had taken our families on a long and hard camping trip, and we left them... Uh, one afternoon on the 10th day before the season opener made this massive drive and put our blinds out uh, on BLM land and we uh, came back to Spokane then we went down there for the opener and as soon as we set up our camp this guy is over and he's like yeah you know, some some asshole stuck out blind up where mine used to be, and there's another one down there where my buddy used to be, and we've been doing this for you know, well since since Christ was on the earth, and you know the great violators have come in, and you know it was it was just typical public land hunting, and so we had a little bit of that to deal with. And so I got back and was able to hunt the evening hunt of opening day, and it was fantastic. I had activity 
at my blind um, shot possibilities. I didn't take any, but it was still fun. And, you know, it's just hunting. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, so as far as our setups go, um, I haven't killed that many antelope. I've only killed maybe, gosh, this was my fourth antelope on this trip. So, spoiler alert, I got I got a doe. And Rod here got a buck. But one thing is for certain, um, I've done a little bit of everything. I've killed one spot and stock in Wyoming. I've sat a water hole in Montana. Uh, actually, I did spot and stock for three days, and then I figured out this water hole after all these stocks and being on the prairie, it was the only water source. So I did have a ground blind. I sat up and killed the biggest buck I had seen on that trip, which was awesome. And um, I've done, last year, we'd set up um, blinds over slides. The slides where the antelopes will go under the fence. And, and that's their preferred way of going or crossing um, any barbed wire fence is to go under. And you can really tell where they go under. They'll basically take like a rake and rake the ground into a divot to where it's very easy for them to go under. Um, that's their preferred method. And if you think that's the only way they go over fences, that's not true. I have seen with my own two eyes antelope jump over fences that are very tall, way taller than them, just like a whitetail, but rarely will you see that. I've seen them actually jump through fences um, where there's a gap big enough, they'll just jump right through. And I've also now witnessed them jump over cattle guards, which I've never seen until this trip. So. If they're forced or pressured, they'll choose a different route. Um, they're very cautious of the blinds that are set up over the slides. We made a very large mistake on this trip. We put your blind 15 yards from one slide and mine 28 yards. And I'll just speak from my setup. For three days, I watched big groups of antelope where we're talking, I got my choice in shooting the biggest or the whatever buck I would want out of like say 10 bucks and 30 does. I could go through and their nose to tail lined up in a line, in a semi line, ready to go under the slide. My string, my, I'm hooked on, arrow on, and I'm ready to just pull back when my buck goes under the fence. But almost every time the lead doe would get nervous, come back, get nervous, come back, and eventually leave to go find a better slide because of the blind being so close. So I think the magic number is somewhere beyond 30 yards. I'm thinking the further the better. Obviously, you got to be in a spot where you're still comfortable shooting. I think 40 is my preference on antelope because they are fast. They can drop quite a bit, and they're already full alert when they go in front of any blind. They're, they're very queued up and they're very nervous and they know that's a way to die. And so they're very hip to that. So you don't have a lot of time to pull back, settle, anchor, and just squeeze off a nice shot. Every antelope I've shot out of a blind spin, pull back, anchor, find the pin that you need, look at where you're gonna shoot and get it done. So we were set up too close and fortunately for you, you were able to get some opportunities despite being so close because of the topography in your spot. You were in kind of a, a funnel, a dip, and the desert is flat, but it's not. 
It's got topography if you really study it. It does have topography and the antelope know that topography night and day. They know where they can bed to see a long ways off where you would say, man, that's just real flat. No, that antelope is actually on a rise where it can have the wind at its back and its eyes are facing downwind where it can't smell, but it can see. They're super smart. And then if there's a group of them, they'll spread out bedded so they can cover all their angles. They're very intelligent. They're very social. They're very group. And when you're hunting in mid-August like we are, there's not, it's not rut time. It's not decoying. You're not going to put one of those targets hooked to your bow and walk at them or use a big decoy or wear the silly hat, even though I brought my hat. They're just, they're not there yet. They don't, they don't usually do that till about September. And if it's September, I'm going to hunt elk. I'm not going to be hunting speed goats. And I know you're the same way. But the one thing I liked about your blind setup is that you like setting up your windows, more windows open, but you have the, the netting up and you don't mind shooting through the netting, right? No, I don't mind at all. I, uh, I just, I noticed last year that when these lead does are going to make the crossing and you're, you're sitting there in your stool, they are staring right into your eyes and they just pick up on everything. So I feel like I have to have the netting down to not make eye contact and to get off a shot. So I kept my netting down this year, which means consequently behind me, I had to have everything zipped up tight. And I'll just clue in everybody that wants to go try this hunt right now that you have to have your head on a swivel. And I mean, you're fighting boredom. Uh, where we were hunting, we got cell reception. So let's be honest, you're on Facebook or Instagram or you're, you know, texting your wife how lovely she is and how much you miss her and and things just happen fast and two times in two days two times in two days I could see nothing in front of me nothing to the right or left peeked out the flap in the back and saw nothing and so I was going to get out of my blind stretch my legs you know when I get out I stay close to the blind so I'm not this you know silhouetted figure I you know I want to stay right up tight to the blind well yesterday I stepped out of my blind and I go oh I'm fine there's no antelope around I look up and there were 10 bucks and two of them were fantastic shooters and they were getting ready to come out stage and come through in front of my blind and I busted them off and they ran for a mile and stopped and looked back at me so you know, you got to you got to have your head on a swivel. You can't ever really relax. And but I like that. I like the netting. I really do. It just gives me a little sense of security. Um, I've shot through them several times now and been successful, so I'm okay with shooting through netting. So where we're hunting, we can really key in on two seasons now, where we've learned where the antelope want to enter and where they want to exit most of the time and they kind of make a really big circle and so we've taken advantage of that let's talk about the ground blinds a little bit next level just so some things to think about it's not just throw a ground blind up and walk away and come back in 10 days so you want to set your ground blind up where 
the first thing is, is you want to, I think, the further away from a slide, the better. Or if you can find two slides and be in between them and have a shot on both sides, that would be ideal. Maybe 30 yards and 30 yards and you split the difference. I would like you to set your blind up where the prevailing wind isn't going to bust you. Now the wind's going to change directions out there often, but there's a prevailing wind and the antelope aren't like whitetail where if they smell you, it's a done deal. Uh, but they can smell you and leave. So the blinds do kind of shield your scent, but if you can play the wind a little bit and figure out the prevailing winds of that area, that will help your setup. I would recommend a big mat on the ground. Don't just have dirt. You're gonna get dirt and dust all over your gear. When you're sitting in the blind, you're constantly moving from window to window. So we take these huge rollout mats, and so it's real quiet. I always take my boots off because I feel like my boots squeak a little bit when I get crouched to shoot. Make sure that you have a real comfortable chair that swivels, that you can, um, it doesn't squeak at all. And then, yeah, like he was saying, uh, as many of the windows closed as possible, hopefully you have one of the blinds like mine which has got little peak holes you can flip up and just kind of bounce around and look through. And when it's the go time and they're within range, they will pick, if there's any daylight in the back when you pull your bow back, they'll pick up that movement. They'll be staring into your blind, expect it. So you need it pretty blacked out except for where you're gonna shoot. As far as staking it down, we use rebar and wooden stakes and a ton of rope and metal stakes. I mean, we stake the crap out of those. And there are some high winds that come through there all the time. You're in a valley, you're in mountains. So uh, staking those down, I actually used a trail camera this year and that was awesome. It told me that my spot was just a morning spot. So I hunted it accordingly to where the antelope were just in the mornings crossing right at first light. So I was able to, you know, really take advantage of those peak times and, uh, and then hunt other places. I can hear that. He's trying to drink coffee and hunt other times uh, throughout the day and try some spot and stock stuff. And so I've just learned that I have mornings there and then spot and stock and then get back in the evenings. I would say if you are super serious and have a short amount of time, sit your blind sun up to sundown. That's what it's going to take, whether you set up over water. One thing I'll say about watering bucks is that they don't water very long and they usually drink while they're facing your blind because they know that there's something not right there and you're going to have a very short window of opportunity. So that's just a couple of tactics on there. Let's talk about their behavior in our general area because I think it'll probably correspond to other places as far as their food sources, water, and things like that. Well, <clears throat> public land hunting is all about finding um, public ground, adjoining private property you're looking for alfalfa you're looking for timothy grass you're looking for irrigated edible uh, food sources for those antelope and you want to set up your ambush on a travel corridor and you'll find success that way but the funny thing to me is and this is just two years experience because, you know, we met guys in hunting camp down there that would dump a lot of knowledge on you, the talkative type, but you never know how much of it to really believe. So as you do this, you, you know, you gain experience. But what we noticed was these things, um, they, 
they only want to stay on that private irrigated alfalfa food plot for so long. It's like they've got to go to another food source to intake something different because they don't stay there all day. And they, they kind of funnel through, go back out into the sagebrush desert. We see them out there feeding way, and I'm talking two miles way out into the desert. You'll see them grouped up. And I also think they go out there and bed down in the sagebrush. Uh, they will bed down in the alfalfa, but you, everybody and their uncle can see them. And I don't think they like that feeling. So sooner or later, they head out into the sagebrush to get a different food source. And who knows what they do out there. But eventually, they're going to come back for some of the delicious, you know, bright green alfalfa plants uh, sitting out in the farmer's irrigated field. Now, the water sources are really interesting where where we're at in particular it's not like a water tank or a water hole they have a stream of irrigated water flowing about three miles out into the desert i personally have never seen them go out there and drink in one consistent spot however this year you did find a leak in the in the in the piping where it was puddling up and you found tons of tracks that would have been good knowledge to know we could have put a camera up on there when we were down scouting but we've always theorized or postulated that these antelope get most of their water by eating the alfalfa that has just been sprinkled oh it seems like those things are running 24 hours a day on those pivots yes and sometimes the main sprinkler at the very end is going and most of the time it's not but the little sprinkles are always going and it's always pivoting and so that alfalfa is covered in water they're getting plenty of water just from their food source if that makes sense so there's not like a real specific watering place now across uh the main road on the other side they're they're is watering holes watering troughs and blm where cattle have been ran through there and they do go to those sources and guys do set up blinds over that and have success and that's usually that's a lot more competitive as far as getting your ground blind out on those water proven water sources and that's where you're going to run into some public land bullies and uh, you just got to watch out for them you know my dad and i've hunted together a long time and what did what did i get called this weekend we got called inconsiderate assholes yeah that's and what I am. we've been called other things before and and really hunters are emotional they yes they've are, invested a lot invested they're they've got a lot of time into spots and they feel like they own it in a way now they know that they don't but they have to be reminded often and and myself included that if someone's in my elk spot my dad is the first one to remind me you don't own that we all own that. That's public land. We all own it. There are going to be some public land bullies that either maybe will park their truck and block the road or like the like this trip, the guy basically was complaining that somebody had put blinds up where he always has his blind. And I told him to his face. I said, oh, that's my blind. We got here 10 days before and put him out. And I wasn't apologetic at all. I didn't feel bad. And he never talked to me the rest of the trip and he was camped right next to us so he was probably butt hurt but maybe he'll have his blinds there next year and that's fine we'll adapt and i think that's the best thing about antelope hunting is being able to adapt and change your tactics uh to whatever is going on things aren't always the same we've had uh public land bullies 
in elk country where guys have told us that you're not allowed to ride your dirt bike on this trail that's marked on my GPS as a specific trail number. I've had guys tell me not to camp where I'm camping or that this is, uh, this is their spot. They've been here this many years. At the end of the day, the best way to handle those public land bullies and situations is to be kind and to be courteous and to walk away. Always walk away. Don't, Don't engage. engage. No, and I made that mistake several times. I ran into a public land bully last season, and I got it on video. I saw him. I was walking down a trail. It was just getting light. I had a spot I wanted to get to, and I was in a hurry. I saw him. I turned on my camera, and as I walked by him, he was standing in the middle of the trail, so I had to go around him. And he thought I was going to stop because he blocked the trail, turned around, and I just sidestepped him and kept on walking. And I heard him say to me, hey, we're hunting here. And anyone else that was nice and courteous and said, hey, do you mind? Uh, we're hunting here today. Do you want to? I would gladly go anywhere else. I would totally. But this guy, I saw him and I just sidestepped him and kept walking and never said a word. And you know what? We had no problems, no conflict because I never saw him again. And that's the best way to handle it, like you said, is don't engage. But anyways, back to antelope hunting. Well, can we, uh, I just want to say one thing to uh, my fellow public land hunters who are going to do this style of hunting with your blind. I want to give you a very important piece of information. The BLM wisely, very wisely made the rule that you can set your blind up 10 days in advance. Yes, it's midnight of the 10th day before the opener. And... Yeah, I know some guys go out there and maybe they set them up at 6 o'clock instead of at midnight. Who cares? But when we got there to the spot we were going to hunt, we were shocked to see that guys already had their blinds up. And, yeah, you can get all mad and you can go take pictures and do all that and be a crybaby. But the important thing to remember is you're supposed to put your name, address, uh, or name inside of your blind. And if you are not hunting your blind, it is not your property. It is public property. Anyone can come and sit your blind and, and hunt. And I think that's a great rule. And now, unfortunately for the guys that were hunting after us, they didn't get to use our blinds because we took them with us. But you can go hunt those blinds, and that's a great rule because it's public land. So that's why I don't think people need to be overly possessive of their blind and their locations. And, and if you really understand the rule, you should look at the guy and say, hey, I'm going home for the weekend. Go hunt my blind. Um, I'll be back on Monday. And it's kind of a cool deal, actually. I think it's smart. Well, I mean, it's, it's just a way for them to keep tabs and enforce their rules, the BLM, those rules are completely separate than Idaho Fish and Game. You're dealing with the BLM laws, and they have a PDF that you can download and learn those. But, yeah, get your name, number, your zip code or whatever in there. Um, and if someone's in your blind when you show up, you can kindly ask them to leave. But they're not doing anything illegal. I would prefer no one to hunt my blind. But if I'm setting a ground blind up, I'm damn sure going to be in it until I kill um, so I probably won't run into that issue, but just be forewarned, if someone's in your blind, there's not much you can do, but just ask them to leave. Um, same probably with the tree stand on BLM, but 
I think most people don't want to hunt in other people's spots. So I don't think you're going to have an issue there. Um, we did see that one guy in particular put his ground blind, I kid you not, exactly 10 yards from somebody's ground blind that was already set up ahead of time. I thought that was kind of a not cool move, but again, it is. Well, it's dangerous. He could get shot. I mean, why would you do that? You you got beat to the punch, but it's your spot. So he put it blind out and he was the guy that I'm calling the public land bully. I ran into him and he had words for me about being inconsiderate or this, that, the other. And I didn't say a word about him putting his blind up 10 yards from somebody who had already put the blind out 10 days before him. But you know what? That's just fine. But back to the antelope hunting. Let's talk about their uh, group behavior. So generally there's a lead doe and she kind of runs the show much like elk. And she's probably a little bit older. A lot of times she doesn't have a fawn. She may have a fawn or two, but she will all of a sudden decide that she's going to a new destination and we're done here and she'll just turn around and trot out about 50 to 150 yards away from the spread out antelope and she'll stop and it's kind of like she's saying all right guys it's time and then you'll see all the antelope pick their head up and be like oh it's time to go and they don't really ask questions they don't know is there a coyote is there a cougar is there a hunter is what's going on but she knows what's up let's go and I will say that usually the lead doe is not quite as big as some of the other does and my theory is is she spends far less time eating and a lot more time looking around for the entire herd's well-being mm. uh, I don't know if you noticed that yeah but the lead does seem to be just a little bit smaller than say some of the fat lazy does she runs out their stages and then all the antelope pick their head up and if they can tell it's a pretty serious vibe, they'll just stop what they're doing and they'll just run up and group. And we call that staging. And they stage about two, 300 yards from where they're going to cross from public to private. And that's when you need to get ready because they're going to do it fast. And then if you're lucky, they'll run over to your slide. And then you can plan on probably a debate of 15 to 10, oh, 15 to 20 minutes of the lead doe debating whether or not it's safe to cross and and she may do like what i would call bluff crosses three or four times pull out run down the fence line 100 yards try to find a different slide and hopefully you've done your due diligence and blocked all the slides that you can with with rocks and sticks uh and if you don't do a good enough job they'll go under somewhere you didn't want them to and eventually she'll come back to your slide and she'll go under and then they'll once one goes under most will go um not always they can get scared they can even spook themselves i had that happen to me where i had about six go under and i had needed six more to go until i was going to shoot a high scoring pope and young buck uh over 75 inches and the little fawn four spots in front of him she got a little hung up on the fence and freaked out and everybody else didn't cross they all ran away they thought like she got shot at or something um which she didn't and i had never moved a muscle it was pretty heartbroken that buck would have been a taxidermy bill for sure but that's the kind of the crossing situation and now when and that's when they're on private coming to public now if they're on public going to private this is something that i did not do a good job of and i will next year is a lot of times when they go to cross and they're on your side they're going to do their debate in front of you 
And oh, yes. that's when you need to take your shot. You don't need to wait for them to get up to the fence line. You almost need to set your blind to where you're angled 10 to 15 yards from the slide where you can shoot that buck who's probably standing no more than 20 yards off the lead doe waiting to see if she goes first. The bucks generally, the bigger bucks aren't gonna go first. They're too smart for that. So you, that's when you're gonna make your shot. And it may, so if you're 30, 40 yards from the slide and the doe is five or 10 yards from the slide looking to see if it's safe, that buck's gonna be another, I don't know, pushing 50, 60 yard shot. That's what you need to practice for. That is when you take your shot. And I didn't do that. And if I would have been more hip to that, I'd be tagged out day one or day two. So don't wait for the perfect shot when the buck's in a group. Go ahead and take, make sure you're blind set to where you can get that shot. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And then like the buck I shot last year, and unfortunately I stuck an arrow in and it ran over onto private. And I was afraid to go over onto private and recover it because I'd heard the farmer was really grouchy. But anyways, um, last year, same thing. That buck ran into 20 and I did not have an angle. He got nervous. He didn't want to go under the slide. So he backed out and then he came back and he backed out. And the whole thing is schizophrenic because when I say come in, they might charge in and then spin, run 40 yards straight down the fence, turn around, come back, run out to the field another 30 or 40 yards and you think they're gone forever. Then they'll come back and you know, it's this vacillation back and forth, back and forth. But I think we've both witnessed too where, depending on where your blind is set up, they'll approach and once the lead doe goes, it's like they all just sprint for the fence, like it's a race. How fast can I slide under this fence? And you're trying to get a shot off. It's, it's crazy fun. I mean, it's, it's really a challenge. It is. So a couple of things that I do is I will, if I see a lead doe coming and she's within 150 yards or 200 yards from my slide, I get ready. It's not a whitetail. It's not going to take them 10, 15 minutes. Uh, I've seen them cover at least four or 500 yards in seconds. And when they decide to go, a lot of times they're going to go. And so you need to be ready. You don't have time. And I'm trying to self-film. So there were several instances where I didn't get any footage because I chose to pick my bow up over turning the camera on and all that stuff. Uh, so you just have to be ready to rock on those goats. Um, well, here here's a here's a beautiful example of how things can go wrong and suddenly go right and what makes it so fun it's not like elk hunting where if you get an encounter with a bull on one day one encounter good solid encounter where you're close to getting your shot you're just tickled well i had you know 10 of those in my second morning hunt and the way it unfolded was I was watching a group to my left on private feeding on alfalfa and the lead doe started that staging behavior. And then all of a sudden two bucks start fighting out of nowhere. And literally they are chasing each other uh, like they're gonna fight to the death. And the bigger buck runs the smaller buck right to me. And the smaller buck is standing 12 yards from me. 
and he's on private so I can't shoot him and I'm waiting for him to cross onto public so I can stick an arrow through him and I'm just sitting there arrows knocked I'm in heightened alert I'm looking right at him I'm looking at the bigger buck that chased him over there hoping that he decides to follow and behind that buck was the lead doe who's going to bring 30 or 40 through the opening and I'm sitting there and I'm I'm just all excited the adrenaline's just pumping and all of a sudden I hear noise like hooves on rocks and I look to my right and there's 30 antelopes suddenly standing there staging they want to come through from public to private and I'm like oh my gosh what am I going to do and they're all 12 yards from me 15 yards and that's when the lead doe got nervous and she peeled off and ran down the fence and I looked down and I'm guessing 20 25 yards is a nice young buck he's he's you know no trophy or anything but I'm not a trophy hunter so I'm going to shoot him well what happens I pull back my bow and I pick out the one buck that's with, is within bow range because I figure they're all going to bolt, right? Because the lead doe's nervous. The young buck to my left is frozen in the gap. He's just sitting there looking at the ones that came from, from public. Well, amazingly, the nice young buck that was on public steps out into my view, and I think he's at 25 there is no time to range trust me it's they're they're too close because i set my blind up too yeah, close i would know your mark to distances i i even used in my other ground blind i put out little flagging um in a nice little half circle of my blind and i had all these yardages memorized uh for reference and you just don't have time to range and again you're going to probably shoot a buck not at the slide but staged out waiting for the lead doe to, to call the shots, so, yeah. like, like you did. Well, then, mistake number 24, I um, pull my bow up, and I'm, my sight window is right into the morning sun. So my pins shift from colors to black dots. That's all I could see is black dots. So I held my top pin, 20-yard pin, on the buck, touched off the shot I couldn't tell if I shot over him or under him but the whole the whole crowd turned and ran as fast as they could and literally I was just about sobbing in my blind and but you know that's just the way it goes uh and so I got a text from you just missed a buck and then 10 minutes later uh, there are no, there are no more goats. They're gone. They're all gone. And then ten minutes later, I got a text: buck down. So you're talking about lows of lows to highs of highs, all within thirty minutes. Oh yeah. That's antelope hunting for you. Yeah, it's so much fun, and I mean, you just got to be. Uh, sorry, we're on a bumpy road here, and makes my voice go up and down, but. Um, you just got to have your head on a swivel and you can't let anything get you down just because it, it all happens fast. Your fortunes change fast. Um, 
you know, just when you think this goat is dead, they'll swirl and run a half a mile. I, I don't know. I can't even tell you how many encounters in four days I had where I see a buck and he's coming down the fence line and I know he's going to cross at my slide and somehow, some way, just doesn't work out. I, I bet double-digit bucks somehow did not like the blind and one buck figured out how to cross where I had it blocked. He, he muscled his way under, made his own slide. Had bucks just run back to the desert. Run, just they just come from there and they're headed to the lush alfalfa field and they're just like screw it i'm gonna go back to the desert uh i've had so i can't even tell you how many lead does ruined my life but i ended up on day four telling my dad i i'm not going home without antelope meat that's how much i love antelope meat and fortunately i don't well know, your wife loves it and she'd kill you if you didn't bring anything home she would kill me for but yes she loves the meat and she would appreciate it if i got one versus just ego hunting for the biggest horns she, she really could care less uh, so on day four, I decided from the morning on, I, I'm going to kill the biggest doe or buck I can find. And so ended up getting a shot um, real quick, just under the fence, came up. I was in a blind. As soon as the doe, she was by herself, fortunately. It was 3 or 4 o'clock. It was really hot. She went under the slide, and instead of going straight out the trail, she turned as soon as she went under and quartered away, and I was already drawn. Shot her for about 34 yards. Severe quartering away, in through the hind quarter and out the shoulder. So she didn't go very far. But what leads me to this and where I want to end this antelope episode is how important it is to get meat off that animal immediately and kind of the protocols to follow. So. You will lose your antelope meat in August if you dick around. So the first things first is I would say if you shoot an antelope out of a blind that you're going to be hunting or someone else is going to be hunting, go ahead and move it. But move it fast and get it to shade. If you're done on that spot, then go ahead and gut it. Get the guts out right away and start peeling hide. What we did on my doe is that we... There was another ground blind or two within 150 yards. So being the nice, considerate guys that we really are, we got the four-wheeler over to it legally and threw it on there and hauled ass over to the only little shave in the entire desert we could find. Yep. And I took one picture with it really quick, and then we got our gloves and knives on, and we immediately just zipped it right down the spine and started peeling the gutless method. And we had that thing pulled off all the quarters and backstrap and then flipped. And it was in a spot where it wasn't going to mess up the other hunters. And the meat was great. We took it right back to camp, rinsed off the goat hair, which you've never killed a goat. Their hair comes off like crazy. It's really weird. It's crazy. So we rinsed the hair all off the meat and got the meat on ice immediately. And that's what we did there. Now, my dad's scenario... He ended up shooting a buck 10 minutes after he missed one. It didn't go, what, 50 yards? No. And being the nice, considerate guy that you were, there was guys in blinds near you. Rather than getting the four-wheeler and just having hip surgery, you just decided, I'll drag this goat 200 yards 
away into this little ditch and I'll take care of the meat there. Yes. And you did, how did you break yours down? So I found a little um, little birch tree that had some green leaves on it and I basically rigged up a stick between the knees of the hind legs and took a rope and hoisted it up as high as I could so I could start peeling the hide off the hindquarters. And so I took the two hindquarters off as quickly as I could, uh, laid the animal down. And the good news for me was I got really, really lucky and that day was overcast. And that just kept that burning sun off the meat. And as soon as I peeled the hide off, I could touch the meat and feel it starting to cool down. So I really was able to relax and take my time and you know, not be hacking at meat, just make nice clean cuts and not be in a hurry and be very methodical. Whereas I felt like with your dough, we needed to, we needed to go because it was 89 degrees and the hot, hot part of the day in the afternoon. And I mean, uh, I think we just did everything in high gear. I do want to, you know, mention one thing that happened to me last year. I don't know if you remember this, but this is a funny public ground hunting story. So I was there and I was a rookie and I set up my blind in a terrible spot. And I set that blind for a day and never saw a goat come by. But I saw this place to the south of me where I thought, you know, if I put my, I had seen some goats come through there, a few, a few bucks would exit out that end. So I in the heat of the day, I literally picked up my blind and I carried it probably 400 yards down to this back corner, away from everybody else. Being the considerate hunter or inconsiderate hunter that I am, I took that thing down there and I staked it down and I got excited because I thought, you know, I've seen these goats down here and I saw a few bucks just come under the fence right there. So I get up the next morning and go sit in my blind and the sun comes up and I look out and glory be, there's 90 of them. And they're not 100 yards from me and they're feeding in the pivot. And I know a couple of bucks will peel off again and come my way and I might have an opportunity. And my adrenaline is just flowing. I'm so excited. All of a sudden, out of the blue, I see a pickup. Drive onto the farmer's property and he drives his truck 200 yards from my blind, gets out with street clothes on, cell phone in hand, and starts walking and waving his arms. And he's trying to drive the goats off the pivot down to his friend's blind at the other end. And I just sat there bewildered as I watched every goat get up and run at least 2,000 yards to the other end of the pivot. It, so the, the moral of the story is when you're, when you're hunting these goats, you got to be prepared for anything. And you just got to adapt. You've got to, you know. I think I got to fill in two things here. And we got we to gotta call this a podcast because I have to edit these things and it takes me time. Is... Uh, one is a guy actually one thing you forgot to mention is the reason why your blind was in such a shit spot is 
you believed a public land lie. Oh, boy. We thought that this guy was helping us out. And we said, hey, we're going to put some blinds out kind of by your blind, but not too close. And we, we were being considerate. And he's like, oh, no, 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 don't put it there. Put it right over here. This is going to be the greatest spot. And that is the spot where you didn't see anything. And now, looking back after two years, I have never, ever seen an antelope even come within 500 yards of where you're blind, nope. where he told you to put that blind, and you did. So yeah. don't always believe those public land lies. No. Nope. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to do, this is just a general FYI to all you road hunters, road bow hunters, which is an oxymoron. You are not going to kill an antelope going down the road, slamming on your brakes. Jumping out. Jumping out, and either A, stepping off the road and shooting they don't they're not going to stand there and if they do maybe it's the rut and the, you know better than me but what you don't know is that there's people out there watching you do these things don't you dare shoot from the road i will bust you i got your license plate in my binos i've saw it happen and then the other guys that slam on their brakes turn their truck in the middle of the road so they can get a spotter or back up and slam on their brakes and just stare. Like you're spotting the goats. Why don't you just keep driving? If you want to stare at them, keep driving a quarter mile, half mile down and then glass. Cause you're going to bump them and they're, you're going to bump them and someone else is hunting them. You're not going to kill antelope from the back of the truck legally nine times out of 10. So that well, how many times have we watched that kid get out his uh, decoy and attach it to his bow and try to stalk. It's just, I, it may work in September. I don't know, I'll be elk hunting, but they're not running mid-August. That does, I have not seen that work. No, that then, poor kid, uh, he must have walked he's the same, 10 miles. He's, he's the kid in the white Dodge. Yeah. I also got to watch him chase his blind that was blowing away that day that you went to Montana <laughs> and that storm came in. Well, our blinds were staked down. His wasn't, and I got to watch him chase his blind all the way through the desert. So he's just, he's young, he's learning. So, um, and he also doesn't hunt all day. I always notice he hunts about two hours, gets out and bumps goats that are coming towards my blind, heading back to his truck. Did it almost every day. And then he'd come back and do the same thing. I would like to sit my blinds as much as possible. So, hey guys, want to encourage you all to go antelope hunting. It is a fun experience. And, uh, man... I can't wait to go next year. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going again. Now that I'll be retiring in September, I want to take my time and hunt a week or two down there and get ready for for bow, uh, you know, elk hunting by chasing those goats around. They're a lot of fun, amazing animals, beautiful, beautiful it's animals. A great warm up for elk season. Get your oh, broadheads yeah. dialed and getting some adrenaline in your in your veins and shooting under pressure under duress and pretty intense shooting scenarios it's it's and man the reward is awesome meat that you can share with your friends and family so thanks for listening to elk shape i wanted to tell you guys that uh you're not going to hear very many episodes the next six weeks i don't know if you knew this but it's elk season and elk shape is busy elk hunting so you're probably not going to catch another episode until october i will try to record a solo episode after every state that i hunt and recap it Hopefully it'll be a, a fun hunting story. And uh, Dad, thanks for uh, hunting with me. This is our only hunt together this year, and I really enjoyed it. And good luck in Idaho for elk. Well, we will have whitetails. That's true. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one.